This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going towards the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they had not understood the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stood and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels, angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Roboniai, which means teacher. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. We give you all thanks and praise, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the joy it is to be together and to celebrate together. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would um, teach us continue to grow us up through your word. And we ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Again, thank you for being with us uh, this Easter. Uh, for um, uh, those of you um, who weren't here last night at our uh, vigil service, you may be wondering, what is this uh, uh, thing here? Um, this is the cloud of fire and smoke um, that you just heard uh, referenced in our Exodus reading. That was part of our readings last night. And if you're very curious and thinking, hmm, Come to our Easter vigil next year. I can't promise that there will be a cloud of uh, fire and smoke, but the vigil is full of all sorts of visuals and artistic things, and it was, it was a joy. But again, it's such a joy to gather on Easter morning. Uh, so I uh, uh, saw a picture recently um, shared with me um, by uh, my friend Christopher Haberman, who is the pastor of Church of the Resurrection in Sioux Falls, um, uh, a sister church of Church of the Cross. And this is a picture of his family um, at a ski slope. Um, they were at the, the top of the mountain. It was he and his wife Meg, um, his son Isaac, his daughter Jordan there, um, getting ready to ski down the mountain. And I looked at that picture and I said, 
That is amazing. That is so exciting to see that. Now, you may think, why is it amazing to see a family about to go skiing? Well, it's because I know some of the story of that family, in particular the story of Isaac, their son. Isaac was born uh, with a chronic disease called Pampa disease, which is a genetic disorder that causes progressive weakness to the muscles, to the heart, to the bones. It's uh, it's very debilitating. Um, And really, um, until recently, Pampa disease, basically, if someone was born with that, they would probably have little chance of even walking, let alone skiing down a mountain. And so when I saw that picture of Isaac with his skis on, I was amazed. Because through um, some amazing medical advancements, but also through two very determined, very committed parents, and through a young boy who is very energetic and wants to move and wants to grow, is willing to make sacrifices to continue to grow, and through a lot of prayer, he's skiing down mountains. Now, I can't imagine that anyone that saw him skiing down the mountain was like, wow, that's amazing. But if you know the story, you say, that's a big deal. That is really good news. And today on this Easter morning, right, we say, this is a big deal. This day is a big deal. We share good news. We share the greatest news, right, that Jesus has risen from the dead, right? And I think we probably can all agree, someone rising from the dead, that's a big deal, right? That's unusual. But maybe you're thinking a little bit like, is it that big of a deal? I mean, that was a long time ago. Why are we, 2,000 years later, so excited, right, so worked up, right, even as Minnesotan Anglicans, right, we're being expressive, right, we're yelling, right, I mean, what's going on, right, what is the big deal? It's really a big deal. And when you know the story, just as with Isaac, you realize, oh, yes, this is good news, this is amazing. I want to just consider one moment in that story, one very important moment in this story is recorded the Gospel of John, this moment, right, where we have three disciples of Jesus, three followers of Jesus experiencing his resurrection. And I want to consider their reactions, how they experience this, and consider why this is such a big deal, why this is such good news, this Easter message that he is risen. I want to invite you to take a moment, if you, um, hopefully all of you got the insert in the bulletin, if not, we have more um, in the back, this um, painting This is a painting uh, by uh, an early American uh, painter, Henry Oswa Tanner, um, who if you're not familiar with him, I just encourage you, um, look him up. I I love um, his paintings. He does a lot of religious themes and other themes in his work. But if you consider that, there he has uh, Peter and John at the tomb. In our gospel reading, by the way, the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, that's John, so who's also the writer of the gospel of John. And so we see John, he's the the younger one there, um, uh, uh, unshaven. And then we have uh, Peter um, there with the big beard. As you look at that picture, as you look at how Tanner um, captured those two disciples standing there at the tomb, what are just some of the things that come to mind? What do you think? What, what words maybe would you um, put into their heads? What would you say, what is John thinking at this moment? What does his face say to you? And what is Peter thinking? And not only their faces, but their posture. Right, how Tanner has sort of placed them and how they're standing. Look at the hands of Peter and look at the contrast. And with the hand, you see the one hand of John. Right, what differences are there? What's going on with the light? Right? What's, what's uh, Tanner communicating to us by his use of light? So let's take a, a, a moment and think about what came before this. We see in our gospel reading that it was the first day of the week, so it was Sunday. 
um, uh, the Sunday after the Friday when Jesus had died on the cross. Mary Magdalene, and we know from the other um, Gospels, other uh, women were with her, at least one other woman was with her, went to the tomb. They were going with spices. They were going to anoint the body to honor the body of Jesus after his death. But they get to the tomb, and they find that the stone has been rolled away and that Jesus' body is gone. It is not there. And so Mary runs to tell Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, this is John, um, that uh, the tomb is empty. Okay, now we know, again, that, that they're in deep grief um, at this moment, that um, Jesus has died, Jesus who they followed for years, who they had seen heal people, who they had seen done amazing miracles, who they had heard teach, right? And so they're in a deep place of grief. Simon, Peter, and John hear um, this news. They run to um, go check it out, right, to see what's going on. Like, is this true? Is the body really gone? And we're told that John ran faster than Peter, right? I mean, he's telling the story. He's basically saying, I beat Peter there. Now, sometimes people wonder, like, what's the significance of this? Like, what's the symbolism of this, that John beat Peter? Here's what I think it is. I think it's because John beat Peter, right? That's what I think is why it's there, right? If you've ever had someone tell you a story of something important that happened to them, maybe as they shared the story, they shared certain details, you know, like, man, I was eating a roast beef sandwich, and then the phone rang, and you don't stop them and say, wait a second, what does a roast beef sandwich mean, right? What's the symbolism there, right? They share that because it's a story. They want you to understand. Here's what's happening. I want you to get a sense of what was going on at this very important moment in my life. I think that's what John's doing. He's saying, look, what happened? You know, hey, I'm younger. You know, I, I beat Peter to the, to the grave. But we also see some of their personalities here, which we see in the other Gospels and throughout the Gospel of John. As we get to know John, it's actually not a surprise that he would stop and wait to go in. John's kind of a mystic. You kind of get this sense of John. And so it's not surprising that he would wait a moment and think, what's going on? Maybe I just need to be quiet here for a moment in front of the, the empty tomb and try to discern what's, what's happening. Right? If you know Peter, it's not a surprise that he would just you know, rush right in. You know, he's kind of a bull in a china shop kind of guy. We imagine him pushing John out of the way and going in and saying, you know, let's figure out what's going on here. Right? And that they don't know what's going on, but they see so interesting, the linen cloths that were used to wrap Jesus' body, they're folded up. Again, another detail, it's like, huh, it's so interesting, right? You would expect if Jesus' body had been taken by grave robbers, um, that they would have just taken the linen cloths with them, or they would have thrown them off, not that somebody would come and fold up the linen cloths. So you have this, again, moment. We're told at that moment that John believed. Now let's wait on John, and let's think about uh, Peter and we'll get back to John. But again, when I look at this painting by Tanner, and I look at Peter, I think that's a guy in a lot of pain. He just looks like he's in such pain, even the way his hands are, are held together, sort of close to him over his heart. It's the guy that's really hurting. And we say, well, of course he's hurting. Jesus died on the cross. But on top of that, on top of his grief at Jesus' death, we also know that this is a person who's experiencing deep, deep regret on that day. Because Jesus had warned him, right? Before he died, before he was betrayed, Jesus had warned Peter and said, you're going to deny me three times. Right? Peter was saying, I'm never going to leave you. Right? I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll die for you. And Jesus had warned him, actually, you are going to. You're going to deny me. And Peter had argued with him and said, never, Lord. But sure enough, Peter had denied that he knew Jesus three times. And then he heard a rooster crow, which Jesus had said what happened. And then we're told that he went out and he cried bitter tears. And we can imagine, I mean, bitterness, right, captures probably what, what Peter's feeling at that moment. 
deep regret. Jesus warned me. My friend who was always faithful to me and I was faithless. I denied that I even knew him. I was embarrassed to admit that I was one of his followers. We can just imagine that regret and that feeling that probably Peter had, I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. I'll never get free of this. I'll never be free of this regret. I'll never be free of this guilt, right? Because I can't apologize to Jesus. He's gone now. And so I let him down as he was dying, and now I'm stuck with this. I just imagine Peter thinking, this is what will define me, my failure. Maybe at times you felt that way as well. In a moment of failure, maybe as you think of your sins, as you think of ways you've made mistakes, of your weaknesses, you've thought, this defines me. This is my identity, right? How I fail again and again and again, or how I failed that one time. This is a shame I just must live with. I imagine Peter looking at that empty tomb, and maybe he's remembering, you know, Jesus did say once that he would rise from the dead, but we all thought it was like another story. You know, he's always telling stories and saying strange things, like, maybe he really did. But then I imagine that thought crossing Peter's mind and then him quickly following it up with, there's no way. There's no way because that is too good to be true. Because if that were true, that means I could actually have freedom from this shame. I could actually be released from this incredible guilt and this incredible bitter regret that I'm feeling. Not long after this, Peter sees and talks with the risen Jesus, and he does realize that he can say he's sorry to Jesus. And Jesus says to him, in one of the conversations they have, Jesus says to him three times, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. He was saying, I want you to care for my followers. I want you to be a leader in my church, right? Jesus knew a church would come from his death and resurrection, right? That his disciples would call others to faith in him. And he's saying, you're going to be a leader in this church, Peter. Can you imagine? Peter, who has thought, I'm, you know, I'm forever shamed. I'm forever living in regret. And Jesus is not only saying to him, you're forgiven, right? I forgive you. But he's saying, I've got work for you to do. Right? You don't need to live in your past sins. There's more for you to do. And you know what I find really good news? And maybe this is kind of mean to me that I find it good news. But Peter messes up again. It's actually in the scriptures, right? We hear about future mistakes he makes. And I find that good news because it means, look, we can be forgiven. We can know the forgiveness of Jesus and he'll forgive us again. He'll continue to help us, right? Because he's alive, because he's risen from the dead. We have a Savior who is alive, who helps us, who forgives us. We talked about it on Good Friday. When Jesus died on the cross, that list of all of our sins, past, present, future, was nailed to the cross. His shed blood covered that, and we know forgiveness, right? And we know we know forgiveness because he rose again. That's the guarantee, right? That his death on our behalf was successful. It accomplished what needed to be accomplished. So therefore, we don't have to live in regret. We can continue to come to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness, knowing he will forgive us. We can continue to be empowered. So that's the first thing I would say is the good news. Why is this such a big deal? Because, right, it's not too good to be true, to say I don't have to be identified by my past. I can be identified by my faith in the Lord and by his new life. That can be my identity too. And again, and I can know his help. I can continue to look to his help for all my life and into death. Right? Sometimes that regret, that worry about our sins, we think about dying and we think, am I good enough? Have I disqualified myself? And Jesus says it's through my death and resurrection 
that you can know, right, eternal life and the promise of eternal life. So we have Peter, but then we have John, again, our, our, our mystic friend who comes to the empty tomb. Now, what was going on for John? John, um, again, is a person of incredible faith. When you read the Gospels, you just see this man had a lot of faith. And actually, Jesus had told the disciples that they all would be scattered at his death, but actually one of the 12 was there at the foot of the cross as he died. It was John, right? He was courageous enough to be there with a number of women, right? They were courageous enough. The rest of the disciples had hidden away. But John was actually there at the foot of the cross. And so this man was a man of incredible faith. But for even John, his faith must have been deeply wounded, right? To see Jesus die. He must have thought, I mean, how could he die, right? I mean, he's the Savior, right? He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. How could he be dead? And he must have thought on that Friday night and on that Saturday, right? And probably at first on that Sunday morning, he must have thought, my faith in him is in vain. I trusted in him and I was wrong to trust in him. Even people of incredible faith and people of very strong faith, when they face trials, when they face times of darkness, their faith is shaken, John tells us, right? I think he shows us, yeah, your faith may be shaken. I think of another John in the Gospels, John the Baptist. Again, a man to hold up as a man of incredible faith. Right? He actually jumped for joy in the presence of Jesus when he was in his mother's womb and Jesus was in his mother's womb. Right? I mean, that's like pre-birth worship. Okay? I mean, that's good faith, right? And yet John even had a, a time where he um, had been imprisoned because he had spoken out the truth to the king, and the king didn't like it. And he was in prison, and he was struggling with his faith. So much was he struggling with his faith that he sent messengers to Jesus asking the question, are you the one, or is there another? Right? Even John had a moment where he thought, have I trusted in you in vain? Have I put my faith in you in vain? And John, the apostle John, the writer of this gospel, when he comes to the tomb and he believes. I believe the message is, your faith is not in vain. That the resurrection says to you, it is not in vain that you have trusted in Jesus. Right? It's not for nothing that you have put your hope in him. Because he rose from the dead. He has defeated sin and death. And he has risen again. So hold on to the faith. Right? Look to the resurrection. Look to the empty tomb. And do not stop trusting in him. Your faith is not in vain, no matter what the darkness says to you, no matter what your doubts say to you. And we need that. And when John says he believes, right, we, we have some clue into what he means by the fact that he says he believed at that moment, because he tells us just a few paragraphs later, he actually tells us why he wrote the Gospel of John. He says, I wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what was happening to him at this moment, right? I believe. Right? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and I know life in his name. Now, what about the next uh, verse there? It's an interesting verse, verse 9, where it says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. So he's saying, I believed, but I didn't yet understand the Scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Why is he sharing that? Well, if you've ever like, seen a movie, I'm sure many of you have, or, or read a story where there's like a surprise ending. Maybe you can think of a movie that comes to mind. I don't want to say any movies because then you'll be like, oh, now I know there's a surprise ending. You've ruined the movie for me, okay? But just think of one where you were surprised at the end. And maybe you had the experience, again, whether it was reading or, or watching, where it was like, oh, 
man, I never saw that coming, but now I see there were clues, right, that were earlier in the movie or in the story, right? I should have seen it coming. And then you, you know, rewatch the movie, you're like, oh, now I see it, right? Now I see how they was pointing forward, right? But if you're honest, you have to say, I was surprised. And that's really what John is saying. He was saying, look, yes, the scriptures, when we study the scriptures, now we realize that the scriptures speak of a Messiah, a Savior, who both suffers and has victory. And then the scriptures show us that we need a priest who can represent us to God, but we also need a sacrifice that can take our sins upon it. And the Messiah is both. He is the priest and the sacrifice. He is the suffering servant, and he is the victorious king who defeats death. They look back and they realize, oh, all the scriptures point forward to Jesus. Now we see it. When God said he would swallow up death and victory, he was saying that he would do it through the Son, the Savior. But John is being honest and he's saying, we didn't see that before. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It's his physical resurrection. It's this historical moment that opened our eyes. And that's so important because sometimes people will talk about Easter and they'll say, look, what's really important about Easter is that the teachings of Jesus live on. The spirit of Jesus lives on. Love never dies. You know, faith never dies. I mean, that's good. That's, that's great. But if we say, well, that's what's really important. This was just a story they wanted to tell to help us to have hope. That's not honoring the witness. Because the witnesses tell us very honestly, we didn't see it coming. But then we saw an empty tomb. And then we encountered Jesus face to face. And there were many, many witnesses. And those witnesses actually gave their lives for this message. Many of them were put to death because they affirmed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Right? And so, again, we can read the scriptures and see the story. But our starting point is actually, he rose. He's rose, right? That's why we trust. That's why we know our faith is not in vain. Our trust is not in vain. And what about Mary? And so we see in Peter, again, it's not too good to be true. And John, your faith is not in vain. But what about Mary? I wish Mary had been included um, in this painting, not me to tell Henry Oswald Tanner what he should do, but I try to imagine what Mary's face would look like if she was looking into that tomb. And we know, right? We, we can know from the story, her face would be covered with tears, and she would be weeping. John and Peter go back, right, trying to figure out what happened. Mary stays there, weeping outside the tomb. She just wants to be near Jesus. She just wants to find his body. Many years ago, I was at the visitation for a teenage girl who had been um, killed in a terrible accident. And I was speaking with her mother who was standing right there near the casket, right next to her daughter's body. And she said, I don't want to move from the spot. I just want to stay here. I want to be close to my daughter. We see that in Mary. She just wants to be close to the body of Jesus. She doesn't believe that he's risen from the dead. She doesn't know it yet. But she just wants to find his body because she can be close to him. And so, yes, she is grieving the death of the Messiah. She's grieving the death of their teacher, but she's grieving the death of her Lord. And that interesting? As you notice, the first time she says they've taken the Lord, but the second time as she's crying, as she encounters these angels that she doesn't realize are angels, she says, they've taken away my Lord. Right? Yes, he's the Lord, but he's my Lord. He's my friend. She's just in deep grief. And such grief, right? And so upset and so wanting to find his body that she doesn't realize there are two angels that she's talking to. And then she doesn't realize that she's talking to Jesus. And how does Jesus open her eyes? How does he show her that he has risen from the dead? What is so interesting is he says her name. You would think he'd say his name, 
right? You know, I'm looking, you know, I'm trying to find the body of Jesus, right? That he would say, I'm Jesus, right? I've risen from the dead. I'm Jesus. But it's so like Jesus that he would reveal himself through saying the name of someone else. This is our Lord who washed the disciples' feet on the night before he died. And this is the one who gave and gave and gave and gave his very life for us. So, of course, he's going to be other-focused even at his resurrection, right? This is the one who later makes breakfast for his disciples. Really, it's true. It's in the Gospel of John. Makes breakfast for them after his resurrection to serve them. This is our Lord who serves. and He serves people. He cares about people. He cares about Mary. So as we celebrate the resurrection, as we say this is good news, why is it such good news? Because it's personal. It's a personal message. Right? I believe the resurrection changed all of history. Right? I believe it's the turning point of history. I believe everything changed with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's also, in addition to being cosmic, it's personal. Jesus, right, he decided how his resurrection appearances would go. Right? We see that very clearly. He shows up at different places. Right? And so he decided, my first resurrection appearance, I won't go to a group of religious leaders and show them, look, you shouldn't have crucified me. I won't go to the, the Roman authorities. I won't go to the political leaders. I won't even, first of all, go to the 11 apostles right, who I'd chosen. No, the first person he appears to is Mary, crying at the tomb, brokenhearted, right, who had received healing at Jesus. And is just so brokenhearted. has not given up on her love for him. And he reveals himself through saying her name, Mary. And that opens her eyes. I believe, right, this moment is given to us, right? It happened, and it's shared with us. I'm so thankful it's shared with us, even though it's so personal a moment. It feels a little bit like we shouldn't be looking in on this, right? But we, we can, and we're invited to, because I believe the message is, he says your name. He knows your name. Yes, the resurrection changed all things, but the resurrection is for you. He invites you to the knowledge of him. He invites you to know the power of his resurrection. We just heard that in our Colossians reading, right? Our life is in Christ. We can root our life in him. A number of years ago when the um, Indianapolis Colts won the Super Bowl, um, I was very excited. I'm from Indiana, um, so that in a sense is not surprising, but if you know me at all, you know I don't get really excited about athletics in general, um, and specifically football. But I was genuinely happy when they won the Super Bowl. Now, had I watched any other Colts games that year? Probably not. Um, that was probably it. Right? But I was so happy because, again, I'm, I'm a Hoosier. You know? Even though I haven't lived in Indiana for a long time, I was happy for my hometown. And I genuinely felt like, you know, excited about them winning because part of my identity is in Indiana, is in Indianapolis. And so that was a victory for me. How much more so, right, if we have put our identity in Jesus, if we have found our identity in him as our Savior, as our Lord, as the one who gives us life, that his victory is our victory, right? That we say this is a big deal because he rose from the dead means that we too have a resurrection to look forward to. It is guaranteed for us by our risen Lord that we don't have to fear, that he calls us by name. And so when we hear that question that Jesus asks, whom are you seeking? Right? Who are you seeking? Are you seeking the one who can assure you you don't have to live in the past, you don't have to live defined by your sins and by your shame? Are you seeking, right, the one who tells you, don't give up, right, your faith is not in vain, keep trusting in me? Are you seeking the one who actually knows your name? Alleluia. Right, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. That you rose from the dead. I thank you, Lord, that you know each person here. 
I do pray on this Easter day that you would speak to them your words of life, your words of assurance. I just pray, come Spirit of God and speak. We thank you, Lord, that you are alive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.